That was fun for me, anyway. I really enjoyed looking around the place today and seeing the faces of our team uh, enjoying using their gifts. Uh, that brings me great joy. And uh, I love that you're able to here on the live stream to be able to see them do that. I want to give a special thanks to the tech crew this morning, once again, dealing with unusual issues this morning. It's the, in the neighborhood of things we've never seen before. <laughs> and in the world of technology, that seems to be an endless array of possibilities, things that we've never seen before. Man, my Bible's too heavy for this stand. Did you see that? The Word of God is weighty. Oh, well, we'll deal with it. I can read it from there. I thought you all enjoy my sounds of drinking. That's great. But uh, tech crew, keeping a great attitude and, and doing their thing, and hopefully we just laugh about them when the day is over, right? Because... When all else fails, we still get to gather and celebrate the Lord. And uh, we're so thankful for the technology that allows us to share this with you in your home. Uh, if you're joining us right now or even miraculously, right? You can join us two days from now, a week from now, two weeks from now, and, and gather with us in spirit. What an, what an incredible time and what an incredible resource. And I'm just thankful that we have the ability to do that. So we're kicking off uh, four weeks of Advent uh, thought, and uh, Advent is the idea of anticipation, the idea of looking to what is to come or that which has been hoped for, and really the season of Advent, which was not something that in my growing up religious experience we really acknowledged at all. Um, we were all about the Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Jesus and, and everything that went along with that. But this idea of the anticipation was really something that was not part of my thinking or consciousness until, gosh, I don't know, Jason, maybe 10, yeah. Yeah, but I would say between five and 10 years ago, we had talked about it. And then we actually started thinking, well, you know, we should actually maybe pay attention to it. <laughs> Maybe there's something here. But then realizing that we only have this opportunity to celebrate this season of Advent, this anticipation of the Messiah, because we get to look back with 2020 vision. See, we already know how the story plays out. And one of the reasons I think it is important to remember and to, to mark this, this season of anticipation is because it reminds us that those who were there when the baby Jesus was born and all the hundreds and hundreds of generations that came before him, they were waiting with no idea when the fulfillment would happen. Now, there were signs from the prophets that were given that they might be able to, to see if the, the scholars and the religious leaders were paying attention. And we, we will see some of those in the stories coming up in the next few weeks. But those would be the most learned of the religious leaders, and those would be the ones who were actually really paying attention to what the Scripture said and who would have things revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, can, we can read the Bible, and many people do. We can read the Bible for ourselves and gain lots of knowledge, but that knowledge alone doesn't reveal to us everything that the Scripture is trying to teach to us. That, that instruction, the Bible tells us, comes from the Holy Spirit, living within the soul of the believer. And so even though there may have been those scholars who were studying, none of them could place the time, and they may have at times seen uh, things in their religious world or happening in their view of the, the prophecies that they might think, 
okay, this might be the time that the Messiah will come. I don't know how accurate that necessarily would have been. We see some examples here in the stories of the gospel as it begins to tell the story of Jesus' birth where God reveals himself to some specific people, Joseph, Mary, Zachariah, Elizabeth. Um, But it's right in that moment, right at that time, God begins to tell them the work that he's going to be doing and what's going to be happening. And that word doesn't really seem to have spread beyond that little group of people. And it's kind of like we have today where, uh, you know, for as long as modern time has existed, there have been individual characters and religious groups who have predicted the end of the world, right? I mean, they've set actual dates. On this date, God is coming again. And, you know, in direct opposition to what the Bible says, when Jesus says no man, no human knows the day or the time or the hour. And yet we still, even today, will have people who, uh, honestly, they're frauds. Uh, if, if, they're, if their prophecy doesn't come true, the Bible says they should be rejected as false prophets. And yet we still see today people predicting the end of the world, sometimes based out of their, their biblical uh, worldview, their scripture worldview. And uh, there's even a lot of that going on right now in relationship to all of the things that are happening around the world. Now, the Bible tells us that we should be able to see signs in the way the world is working that might give us little, little mileposts along the way that God is continuing to move. And we do know that scripture tells us that there will be a time There will be a time when Christ will return and he will gather unto himself, unto himself, the the church, the believers. And there will come a time when all those who have died in Christ will be raised again and join him and join us together. And he gave us some signposts along the way. But still, we don't know the day or the hour. And when we think about this season of Advent and we think, okay, we're going to spend four weeks, we're going to talk about uh, peace, joy, hope, and love. I think today is joy, right? Joy, uh, hope, peace, and love, I think is the order that we're going in. Um, We get those four weeks kind of compacted and we know that at the end of that is going to be the celebration of the birth of Jesus. But those who are in these stories especially the ones who are outside of this small group of people, Mary, Joseph, and the others, they don't know that the Messiah that they've longed for, that they've waited for, that some of them have begged God to deliver, they don't know that the Messiah is about to land in their midst and turn the world upside down in a good way. And so I don't know if we can experience for ourselves today a true sense of the longing that those people felt, that their ancestors passed down to them all the way back from the time of some of those stories that we've talked about uh, recently of the the Israelites in the desert and and even all the way back to Abraham who we'll we'll touch on here briefly in, in today's text. God giving him the promise that his descendants would number more than the grains of sand on the beach. All of those people who longed for this day that the Messiah would come, and here it is. And there's two parts to this I want us to focus on. The first we'll find in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 39. And uh, it says this, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, a town, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment 
of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And that's the first section I want to look at. Um, there's some things that jump out at me here as I look at that text. And uh, Sean, if you want to roll us back to the beginning of that section, I'm going to bump through a few of these. Um, go ahead and go on to 41, I think. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you here, because we have some of the crew is here, you guys can, can jump in here with me if you remember, but shout it out at home. I won't hear you, but I trust you. Who is the baby that is in the womb of Elizabeth? John the Baptist. All right, he's the forerunner. He's the one who, sa- who stands in the wilderness and, and preaches already the good news of Jesus Christ. And listen, Oh, I'm getting a little goosebumpy here. Listen, this is really important because this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. See, we, we have this view sometimes in our evangelical Christianity that, that while we must share the gospel, that's part of what we're commanded to do, right, is to share the good news, we almost feel like that, that the gospel didn't start until Jesus was born, lived, crucified, and resurrected. But that's just not true. See, John the Baptist here you know, he's stewing around, he's cooking in Elizabeth's womb, he's going to come out, be a little boy, be a man, grow into a man, he's the cousin of Jesus, and he's going to be out there before Jesus ever begins his ministry on earth. John will already be out there proclaiming the words of the prophets and saying, make a, make a straight path, the one is coming, I'm going to baptize you with water if you will believe that the Messiah is come, but when he arrives, he's going to baptize you with fire, which is the Holy Spirit. This gospel was already being preached, and we see that in the story when Jesus comes to John the Baptist, the baby that's in this womb. Jesus comes to him at the edge of the river and tells John to baptize him. Now, this is one of the reasons we know baptism doesn't save people, because Jesus didn't need saving from himself. It was a symbol, it was, an, it, was a, it was a marker. Jesus was setting the example for his followers, but understand that people, Jews, were already being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, before Jesus began his ministry. So we say, did those people then all have to be rebaptized or get resaved after Jesus began his earthly ministry? Was Elizabeth, I mean, Elizabeth here already expresses the belief in a couple of verses, that the Messiah himself is at this moment in residence in Mary's womb. She has already confessed with her mouth that Jesus Christ, this baby who is going to be born, who the angel said, you shall call him Jesus. They already know his name. Elizabeth has already confessed with her mouth and believed in her heart that Jesus, the in utero Savior, is indeed the Messiah. That's incredible. And we see this evidenced in the book of Hebrews when we, we talk about that, the chapter of the heroes of the faith, which uh, Jason and I have talked about, the, the message that I gave at this year's Alaska Baptist Convention meeting. It's on our, our feed if you want to go to YouTube. If you haven't seen it, it's called Therefore. I, I talk about these heroes of the faith and what this all means. But it's all these characters from the Old Testament and we might be tempted to say pre-Jesus, but we have, to, we have to kick out that thinking. Because as we've also taught you in the past few weeks, even uh, just very recently, remember who is the creator of all that is created? It's Jesus. He didn't just suddenly materialize out of nowhere when he was in Mary's womb. He already existed. He is pre-existent. He is indeed God from the beginning, from before the beginning. We can't wrap our heads around that because we think in linear timelines, but but God exists outside of, around, and within all time and space. And Jesus as well because he is God. And we look at that list of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews when it talks about those guys, it talks about Moses, it talks about Noah, it talks about Rahab, um, and it says of all of these people, it recounts some of the, the, the incredible deeds that they performed in honor of God, and then it says that of those people, that their faithfulness to God was counted unto them as righteousness. They were made right before God 
by their faithfulness. Sound familiar? See, the the advent of Jesus Christ was the beginning of a new covenant with God's people. And that new covenant was that no longer would animal sacrifices have to be made. No longer would there be priests between the people and God, but it would be Jesus himself, our direct mediator between us and the Father. No longer would we be strangers and outcasts in the kingdom of God, but we would be welcomed in as brothers and sisters, children of God. And that grace extends to all of those who have been faithful through all time. But it is a covenant that we get to enjoy in its fullness because it was fulfilled in Jesus. And then the second thing I see here that's really important to me, uh, John the Baptist, we're talking about him. He's the forerunner to Jesus. He's already preaching the gospel before Jesus even begins his ministry and we have any hint of the crucifixion or the resurrection. And people are believing. There are already followers of Jesus before any of the other incredible parts of the greatest story ever told happen. And then it says here that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is another thing that in my evangelical upbringing, we just, I don't know, we just didn't pay attention to this stuff. I don't know. Maybe I just missed it. I mean, I sat in church services and Bible studies from the time I was that I can remember from the time I was five until I left Faith Baptist Church, which still had the same rough schedule, Sunday morning Sunday school, Sunday morning church, training union. Anyone remember that? I don't know. There's not a lot of Baptists in here, so you probably don't. Um, these folks all come from other traditions, <laughs> which is awesome. I love that. Um, training union. So Sunday school traditionally was actually the the gospel entrance to the church. It's where, the, it's where people were told about Jesus and often in Sunday school were led to Christ. Then training union happened at 6 o'clock before 7 o'clock evening church was more like uh, apologetics and doctrine and theology, teaching the foundations of the faith. So Sunday school, Sunday morning church, training union, Church, again, two sermons in a day, two classes in a day, Wednesday night Bible study, and then other stuff in between. So I, I, I got, you know, 30 years of a lot of teaching. And somehow these things like this escaped me. And I don't know if it's because they weren't taught or I just wasn't paying attention. I have a suspicion. But another thing that we tend to miss, the first thing is we tend to miss is that the good news began before Jesus actually began his ministry. The good news was already the good news. And John was telling people, just wait, that like the proof is on our doorstep. It's right here. And the second thing is we have this idea that we see this story in Acts where the disciples are gathered in the upper room and they're praying after Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and he's appeared to them, and they've watched him back into heaven. Um, They're praying. And we have that story where the Holy Spirit descends into this room with with tongues of fire, and and they speak out in in these fantastic tongues, and they go out with this power into the community and begin to, they, they, they begin the church established that Jesus talked about with Peter. That, that, that we get this idea that that's when the Holy Spirit showed up. But I give you Luke chapter 1, verse 40, 41. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't dormant until the day of Pentecost. That expression of God, that part of the triune Godhead, was already at work in the world, and in fact, I, I didn't look them up this week, but I might, maybe I'll do an article this week and send it out uh, as part of our newsletter. There are a, a number of places in the Old Testament, including in the Psalms, that actually, I mean, openly say the Holy Spirit. He's not a New Testament construct. He's been there all the time. Why? Because God, 
the triune, Trinitarian God that we believe in, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, all of him, he, as who he is, has existed preeminently, pre-existed through all of time and space. And if we'll look, we actually see all three expressions of God through all of the scripture, including Jesus in the Old Testament, which is a series I'm thinking about, but I don't know if we're going to get there anytime soon. Um, But if you go do some research on your own, you can find it. Jesus is in the Old Testament in some famous stories. We're just not paying attention to the language that's there. And so we see this, John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit, and then, Sean, let's go ahead and go ahead to the next one, 42. Now, if you're Catholic, you're very familiar with this phrase right here, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Hail Mary, full of grace, right? Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Elizabeth already recognized, even though She wasn't visited by the angel. She wasn't told about the name of Jesus. She's gotten this information from Mary, right? But she sees something in Mary that she believes what God has said. And she already confesses that Jesus, that that this, this baby is blessed, that Mary is blessed. And then she, she talks about how, how great it is that you've come to, to hang out with me. How is it that, that me, just this lowly woman, um, carrying my baby, but you've got, I mean, you've got the Messiah in your womb and you come to hang out with me. And it's just a sweet, uh, sweet moment there. And then let's go to verse 45. And then Elizabeth gives this, this statement about Mary. So she's already said, now blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. What does blessed mean? It means um, it's, it's great, it's, it's, it's magnificent. In fact, we're gonna get to that word here in just a second, magnificent. Um, it's holy. You, you, Mary, are unique. This baby is unique. And then she comes back to it and she says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And there's, there's a very important principle in this little line of text. And what it indicates to us, what it tells us, is that somewhere along the way, Mary and Elizabeth have been having conversations, as close family members do. And remember the story, right? The angel came to Mary and said... The Holy Spirit is going to be with you, and you are going to become with child, and that child will be the Messiah, and you will call his name Jesus. What the angel didn't say is when that was going to happen. He said it's going to happen, and in our minds, because we tend to compress stories we hear the angel speak that, and then we see it in the, in the text, and then suddenly, whoa, she's pregnant. We don't know how much time passed there, but right here we get an insight into the words that Elizabeth says that tells us there was a passage of time because she says, blessed are you, Mary, because between the time you were told this was going to happen and the time when you realized that you were now pregnant, you believed all of that time that this was really going to come true. Now, this is a principle that we can apply to our own lives as we follow after Christ. When we, when we know that there are things that God has revealed to us, has told us, maybe it's uh, work that he intends to do in us. Maybe it is a direction he wants for us to go. Uh, maybe it is a decision that he wants us to make, or sometimes in my life he's given me insight into events that might occur in the future, but which right now I don't see a pathway to. And then my challenge is to believe him about the work that he says he's going to do in me. And 
to be cautious about being frustrated that he's not doing it in my time. And it's, it's my duty, it's my responsibility to trust that if he's said that, that I or we are going to go in a direction and he's going to bring something of great value out of that direction, that when it isn't happening the way that I would have planned it, that I don't lose faith, that I believe he's going to fulfill that which he promised. And something I could think of right now in the life of this church that I frequently find very frustrating is that God provided miraculous avenues and resources and labor and, and brilliant minds. Nate is sitting here. He was a huge, I mean, he is a linchpin in this process of the, the development of this space right here to do some things that we wanted to do and the installation of this equipment and even then the provision of getting this lighting equipment, this sound equipment, this live production equipment, all of those things were far beyond our reach. And yet God, I'm, I'm telling you folks, it was miraculous the way God put those pieces together. And, and there were faithful people. Uh, Lloyd Fuller here working endless hours. Nate, the endless hours and time and resources. Uh, Jeremy and these other guys, I see Sean back there and Russ um, working in the tech department. Uh, Sam here joining with us when we produced shows here with DeCapo Choir and, and uh, the Little Shop of Horror show that we did that came together and we saw that vision come together and now we're in this circumstances where we don't get to do like anything here. And there are times I get a little grumpy with and I'm like okay you brought us here what is all this other mess that's going on? When are we going to get back to the thing that you said? And I have to be reminded of this. That I, I, should, I should remember Mary, who God told her something, and then it was his business to fulfill it. And it was her business to be faithful. And that's a word for us today. That in, in a season when, man, things are as weird as they've ever been, and there are things in our lives that we believe that God has spoken to us about, maybe it's individual, maybe it's corporate, like I'm talking about in this circumstance, that we don't lose faith that we believe that God knows not only what he's doing, but he, he remembers what he said. And Mary's going to acknowledge that here in just a moment, and we get an insight into why you can say things like, Mary, you are, you are blessed in this because you remembered what God said, and you were faithful because you knew he was going to follow through. He was not going to forget you. And so then we get to this place in the Scripture that's called traditionally the Magnificat, Mary's Prayer. And there's some beautiful music out there. Uh, there's a Bach uh, symphony piece that was written for it with incredible orchestration and these beautiful choral parts that you should go and find later. Um, there's a song that we hope to incorporate into our uh, celebrations in the next few weeks that is a modern song that I think is just beautiful that, that relates to this. But these words are just so famous. And it gives us such an incredible insight into who this person, the mother of Jesus, was. Now, it begs a question, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Love that song, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would heal our sons and daughters? It shows up here regularly for Christmas Eve, uh, even though I've tried to kill it uh, for several years. Um, I still get uh, forced into it, and it is a beautiful song. Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? 
This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know? But I can't. I have to. I have to admit. I, every time I hear that song, this is what goes through my mind. Mary, did you know? And she says, "Yep." Because <laughs> we're going to see it right here now. Did she envision that he would walk on water? Maybe not that specific event. Uh, did she know that he was, you know, going to do some of these other specific physical things that are outlined in that song? I, just, I saw someone this week saying that uh, it's like if you, have, if you ask the question, Mary, did you know? It's like, you should, well, go read the Magnificat because you'll find out what she knew. And it's actually quite extraordinary what she knew already, before the baby's even born. And I saw somebody say this week that uh, Mary, Did You Know is the ultimate uh, Christmas song of mansplaining uh, to, uh, to Mary, which I thought was pretty good. If you don't know what mansplaining is, that's when, that's when a, a man has, thinks that he has to explain to a woman um, what is actually happening or what they're talking about. And it's generally not considered a good thing because, you know, women have brains, too. I don't know if you knew that. Um, women actually are quite brilliant in many ways in their own right. And uh, sometimes they don't need to have things explained to them. And yet somehow men feel compelled to explain it anyway. Uh, and so that's called mansplaining, if you don't know. And, uh, and this kind of just makes me chuckle about that song. So if it shows up this year in our celebrations, you'll now think about that, see, when, the, when it starts, Mary, did you know, automatically in your mind, you're going, yeah, she, she kind of did, really, actually, uh, we don't need to wonder what she knew, because she told us right here, and it starts in uh, verse 40, uh, 45, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, let's keep going, keep going. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Now that could sound a little arrogant, but we really know it's not, because we see an example in her life, and we see the other words that she says. She just, she, she just acknowledges that this is, this is incredible, what is happening to me. And she hasn't even seen the baby yet. He's just growing. He's doing his little baby thing in there. But she recognizes the importance of the moment. She recognizes how incredible and miraculous it is that the angel came and spoke to her and that God has bestowed this honor upon her. And then she goes on to say, for uh, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Go one more, Sean. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, I'm going to buzz through the rest of these, but I want to, there's some contrast. She kind of keeps this pattern here for just a moment. Um, he has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. She talks about those who are elevated in society and those who are marginalized, uh, those who think they have it great and those who think they have it terrible. And, and she, she delivers this message that all is going to be brought into some sort of balance. Now, we understand because we even see the story of the time and we understand the story of the world that we live in today that she was not talking about material terms. She wasn't talking about in physical senses that suddenly the, the rich were going to be made poor and the poor were going to be made rich. It, it wasn't going to flip-flop that way in an economic sense or, a, or, a, or a, a civic sense. But that in the face of the Messiah, it didn't matter if you were rich or poor. It didn't matter if you had shelves that were full of all the food in the land or you were living in poverty because she wasn't speaking about physical things. She was speaking about the spiritual being that in the presence of the Messiah, no one is more important than the other. And she, she holds herself up as the example. 
that a lowly girl like her, like she would be chosen to be the vessel to carry the Messiah himself. She acknowledged back in, I think I missed it, I want to go back and point it out to you. In verse 47, right at the beginning, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. See, she already acknowledges who he is, the Savior. And then she, she goes through those other things, those, those contrasts between our earthly existence, and she speaks about the spiritual humanity that is within us and how all of those things are going to be brought into balance before Jesus and that everyone will be in the, the same place before him. They, there's an old saying that says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no one who's higher than anyone else. There's no one who's lower than anyone else. We all have the same needs. We all have the same uh, uh, opportunity to respond to the salvation that God offers us, and no one has an upper hand because nothing that we do can, can give us an advantage in that. Let's jump back down to verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. There's a, there's a little bit of a principle here that I find uh, interesting, which is that as you read through this, and if you go back and look at this later, I'd encourage you to do that. These, these short words from Mary, it's, it's about all we get from her uh, in this form. There's some dialogue with the angel that we have, but then this is really insight into Mary. But she knows her history. She knows the history of her people. Because she's talking here about uh, that connection back to the mercy that God has shown to the people of Israel over and over and over. And she's saying that here, here is another one. Here is this help to his people, the people of Israel, in remembrance of his mercy. And then she goes on to say this, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That's an old, old story for the people of Israel who now for generations, hundreds and hundreds of years have been under the thumb of someone else's rule, of someone else's government, sometimes in slavery, outright slavery, and in other times, uh, like they are here under the empire of Rome, just subject to a foreign power and not having their own self-determination and uh, paying taxes to Caesar and all of these things. But here, Mary remembers the promise that God made to Abraham that I mentioned earlier, that his descendants would number more than the grains of sand on the beach. And what's kind of amazing about this is that even back then, Abraham didn't know that his descendants would include people who had no direct bloodline to him, but instead became sons and daughters of God through the salvation offered in Jesus Christ, who comes from the womb of Mary, who is a direct descendant of Abraham. She is one of those grains of sand that Abraham thought about, his direct descendants. But she acknowledges here that God gave this promise to Abraham and to his offspring forever that they would endure. And then we understand that that offer of familyhood, that, that offer of being adopted as sons and daughters extends far beyond just Abraham's offspring. And then it wraps up here, kind of a nice little bow on the end of this story. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her own home. 
And then not too long after that, in the timeline of the Bible, we see the birth of Jesus. We don't really know what that time was. So, what can we take from this text, this story? A few things that we talked about right at the top. Remembering the example of Elizabeth, who knew that the gospel was already being told, and then we see that in her offspring, John the Baptist, who acknowledged in Mary the quality of seeing what God has, has decreed, seeing what God has spoken into her life. Uh, what has God spoken into your life that maybe isn't fulfilled yet or is being fulfilled or seems like it's stalled? Uh, to, to have that same spirit, that same attitude that Mary had that remains faithful to what God promised. And then if we take that entire section of Mary's words... The greatest thing that I see out of this is kind of the idea that, that God gives, because God gave grace to Mary, right? He chose her for this incredible honor. She's fulfilling it. He has provided everything that she needed, including now a husband, a man who was going to kick her out, but who God convinced instead to take her in and to love her. She has come to understand that the baby in her womb is the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy and that he will truly be the Messiah for all people, the Savior for all people. And her response to all that God has given her is to turn back her mouth and to give him glory. And I think that's an important, that's an important lesson we can learn from this text, is that we look at our own lives and we consider, we take inventory of all that God has given us, of all that God has done for us, in us, through us, with those that we love, Prayers that he's answered. Provision that he's provided. Anything that you can think of where you see the handiwork of God. The principle is that God gives to us and we give glory to God. God gives to us and we give glory to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word, this opportunity to be here together, to share in it. Lord, I pray as, as we go through these next few weeks of kind of this Christmas season, Lord, that we'll be reminded of your faithfulness towards us as individuals and as, uh, as a people. Father, that you'll, um, you'll remind us that there was a time when those who believed in you waited with such deep longing for the fulfillment of your promises to them. The promise of the Messiah, the promise of liberation, the promise of salvation. And they waited, they were patient until you fulfilled. Lord, remind us, don't let us forget that there are things you are doing in our lives, individually and collectively, things that have not yet come to pass. Lord, remind us to be faithful. 
waiting for you to fulfill. And in our waiting, may we give glory for all that you have already done. In Jesus' name, amen.
Oh 